This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. The same is true within the family of God, that your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses are not my opportunity to exploit you, but instead an opportunity to serve you. You see, most of the time when men see weakness of another, it's like blood in the water with sharks. You know, there it is. There's the weakness. Go after it. Pick it. Poke at it. Make fun of it. Do something. Cut that guy down as much as possible so I can build me up. Look how awesome I am. Your weaknesses are not an opportunity for me to gloat about my strengths, but to use my strengths to serve you better. How do you respond to someone else's weaknesses? Are you the kind of person to try and lift them up? Or are you the type of person who's going to exploit them and make yourself seem better? Today, Pastor Cody reminds us that the baseline of every healthy relationship is balance. There's no need to tear each other down. Everyone has weaknesses. And if you love someone, you'll do your best to fill in the gaps where they're lacking. And hopefully they can counteract your flaws as well. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 19. As Pastor Cody continues his message, a message of provision. In this culture, a woman was not, they, they didn't work, they couldn't provide for themselves. And, and we were, were, were told by scholars and theologians that Mary is probably a widow, that Joseph probably died not too long after they had uh, some other children. And that Jesus was left as the eldest son to bear the responsibility of providing for and caring for his mother. And so Jesus took on the family business of carpentry and built stuff. And as he did this, he took care of her. And now he's dying. Who's going to take care of Mary? And before she can even register all of this, because of the horrors of the cross and the swiftness of this chaos, she's there vulnerable. Anxiety is going to come upon her. Fear is going to come upon her. Trouble awaits her and Jesus foresees all of this. And instead of worrying about his condition and his state, I mean, if, if there's anyone having a bad day, it's Jesus, right? Like this is, if there's any, any time that Jesus could say, hey, could you guys help me out with something here? Jesus could probably say it. And instead of focusing on his problem and his difficulty and his situation, he looks at her and he's concerned with her. He's concerned with where she's at and how she's going to be provided for, how she's going to be taken care of. See, Jesus not only sacrifices himself for Mary's sin, but he also takes personal responsibility for her care. And we've got to place ourselves in Mary's position here. That Jesus is sacrificing himself for your sin, but also looking for your your personal care. Jesus notices her. He didn't even need to. The pain itself was good enough reason to say, that Jesus didn't, wouldn't even recognize anybody that was there. But he notices her. And he sees her condition. He cares. He could have noticed. He could have seen and just said, well, you'll figure something out. But no, he cares. He enters into her pain, into her situation. And then he points it out to her. Notice he says, woman, behold your son. I'm sure at that moment, the thoughts of all that, oh no, what, how's this all going to work? How's this all going to take place? He points it out to her. And then he compassionately provides for her needs. And I think that this is an example not only of Jesus 
and his great love for us. But I think as, as men, it's an example for us to follow as well. That I think that, that, that Jesus is the most manly of men. That if you're going to set up a man and say, this is what a man should look like, it's Jesus. I don't, I don't really like the uh, depictions of Jesus as the, the pansy Jesus. Jesus is the most manly of men. And as Jesus is here on the cross, and his concern is for somebody else, I think it's something for us to take on as an example as well. Because I have a tendency to be a big baby. Have you guys seen that commercial for a man cold? That's a little YouTube video. If you haven't, look it up. It's stinking hilarious. Like the, the guy's laying on the couch and he's like, oh, I got a cold. And his wife comes down and says, oh, what's going on? And, and he says, uh, oh, I've, I've got a cold. She's like, oh, why didn't you call for me? He's like, I did. I was like, Mary. And the paramedics show up and what's going on? What have you done? And she's like, I don't know. And, you know, she, she just motions to him and, and, and they say, woman. He's got a man cold, you know. Uh, it tends to be more difficult for, for us guys, we think. And, you know, she's like, I've got a cold as well. And, you know, he's, she's fine, functioning totally properly. But we have a tendency, and I know that I do, to over-exaggerate and kind of be a baby about some stuff because I just want her to take care of me. Um, I guess I'm revealing too much right now. But um, we have a tendency to, to look to ourselves to try to take care of ourselves and to provide for ourselves and to think that what's best for me. Uh, this selfishness is so rampant within just people, but I, I see it so much within men and so many of the issues and problems that uh, are within relationships, especially marriage relationships, would be alleviated if we would see them instead of me. You see, real men see the vulnerabilities of others as opportunities to serve them, not as ways to exploit them. That's what real men do. My wife has weaknesses, right? Tread lightly, Cody. My wife has weaknesses. And God has given me strengths where she has weaknesses. That's not for me to look down on her with and say something's wrong with her. Why don't you think like me? What's wrong with you? Why don't you do things the way that I do? What's wrong with you? Why don't you attack this situation that I do? What's wrong with you? Her weaknesses in the areas where I have strengths is not a reason for me to overpower her or exploit her or look down upon her because you know what? I've got weaknesses where she's got strengths. And if I see my strengths as opportunities to serve, not her vulnerabilities as opportunities to take advantage of her or overpower her or overshadow her, but instead to serve her well, then, then our relationship works out well. And the same is true with us. The same is true within the family of God, that your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses are not my opportunity to exploit you, but instead an opportunity to serve you. You see, most of the time when men see weakness of another, it's like blood in the water with sharks. You know, there it is. There's the weakness. Go after it, pick it, poke at it, make fun of it, do something. Cut that guy down as much as possible so I can build me up. Look how awesome I am. Your weaknesses are not an opportunity for me to gloat about my strengths, but to use my strengths to serve you better. This is what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus points to Mary to look to John as a son. That the void that Jesus leaves in the heart of Mary, this, this son void, this provision void, it's going to be filled by another. And Jesus notably calls Mary woman here. Did you see that there? Woman, behold your son. 
He calls her woman and not mother. Don't, don't look at this and go, man, Jesus is so disrespectful. If I said that to my mom, I'd get punched in the face. Like, don't think of it that way. This is a very respectful term. It's much like how we would say ma'am. Uh, so it's a very respectful term, but it's not very affectionate. It's somewhat cold. There's distance being established here. And if you remember through our study through the gospel of John, this should take you back to John chapter two. When, when Jesus performs the first miracle at the wedding feast of turning water into wine and Jesus is there and Mary comes and says, Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what is that to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That as Jesus says this, he's not speaking disrespectfully, but he is creating distance. It's not necessarily affectionate that's taking place here. And there's at least two reasons why I believe Jesus speaks this way. Number one, I think it's for Mary's benefit here. I think that Jesus is speaking this way for Mary's benefit, partially because uh, Jesus, in speaking in in terms of mother-son relationship, I think that would add grief upon grief to her. I, I think that he's being careful to be kind with her here. But, but more than that, it looks like to me that Jesus is um, referring back to this piece of John chapter 2 at the beginning of his ministry. That Mary would remember this. And this word would, I, I'm sure, trigger that in her mind. I remember when he said this to me before. I remember where we were. And it's significant to me that Jesus at the beginning of his, his earthly ministry and now at the end of his earthly ministry says this same word. Says woman. This word woman is used in direct connection with his purpose. At the wedding feast, Jesus is saying, my hour has not yet come, that this is not the reason why I'm here. But that he does turn water into wine. And we noted in John 2, you can uh, check it out online, let's do it online, that what we noted in John chapter 2 is that as Jesus is saying this, that he is uh, symbolizing uh, with the wine joy and celebration. That that's his purpose for being there. That there is a joy and celebration behind the mission of Jesus. Jesus, to redeem a lost world of fallen humanity to a good God. That this is why he's here. And now at the end of his ministry, he says the same thing. And it's directly connected to what his purpose is. He's on the cross. And it's at the cross he's saying this again. And here, not only is he, is he foreshadowing at the, the, the wedding feast what he's there to do, but at the cross, he's actually accomplishing our joy and our celebration through the cross. This brutal, torturous device is now the thing that we exalt and lift up as our hope. What an amazing thing. It's our joy. It's our celebration through this. That Jesus is accomplishing this, and, and this word woman is connected to both. In Psalm 28.7, It says this, the Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. That he's my strength. He's my joy. He's where thankfulness and thanksgiving comes from. He helps me. But notice the connection. It's as I trust in him. That your trust placed in the Lord produces within you joy, produces within you thankfulness, that it comes from that. Not only is it for Mary's benefit, but number two, I think it's also for our benefit that Jesus says this. You see, there's clearly a separation being established here between Jesus and Mary so that we cannot improperly exalt Mary. Mary is not a co-redemptress, as is blasphemously taught by many. Mary does not redeem you, only Jesus does. Uh, Mary is not there somehow petitioning on your behalf. 
uh, he doesn't even refer to Mary as mom. She has no more access to Jesus than you and I do. Jesus is dying for her sin as equally as he's dying for yours and mine. That, that there's this separation that Jesus is saying, I am God, I am sacrificing myself, and you are my creation. And there's a separation that needs to be taking place. Mary is absolutely special in human history, and we need to see her as such. That God, in all of human history, has said, I want you to be the one who bears my son. I think there's something absolutely significant about Mary, absolutely special about her, and we would be foolish to downplay her, but we would be equally foolish to exalt her. She's just a woman. And we have this weird tendency in our lives to exalt people, don't we? That we lift people up and we think they're going to be the one to do whatever. They're going to save us. They're going to, they're going to make something happen, or they're going to be the one that causes things to change. But realistically, that hope is only cast upon Jesus in the proper way. All right, so thirdly and finally, not only do we see a new family created and a provision for Mary, but also a command for John. Verse 27, then he said to his disciple, which is John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. The provision for Mary is simultaneously a command for John. Do you see that there? That there's provision given for Mary, and it's also a command for John to fulfill. This is something that Jesus wants John to do. He's clearly asking John to fill a certain role in Mary's life and take his place in being her provider and being her protector. Like we said before, Mary's probably a widow. And as Jesus dies, he leaves Mary in a state of being destitute, of no longer being provided for. Now, some of you may may think and remember in Matthew 13, we're told that Jesus has at least four half-brothers. That Mary and Joseph, they had at least four sons and some daughters. So why is Jesus not commissioning one of those brothers to this task? Well, why is Jesus selecting John for this? And why does Mary move into John's house and not James's house or Jude's house? Uh, why not those guys? Well, uh, as we see this, John is selected, and part of it is his brothers aren't there. They're just not there. At, at this crucifixion, Jesus is dying torturously, brutally, and he's abandoned by his own family. But John's there. His brothers, they're just not there. And one of the things I think that is vitally important for us is that if you want to be used by the Lord, 90% of it is just showing up. It's just showing up. That if you can just be there, then the Lord will use you and he will he'll provide opportunity to open up opportunity for you. Showing up consistently. His brother, they're just not there. And so Jesus uses who is there. And so I just want to encourage you in that, in that way. Also, his brothers aren't believers. Right? Not yet. They will be when he raises from the dead. That's what radically transforms all these guys. But they're mocking him. They're not believing in him. His brothers aren't believers. And so Jesus is going to entrust the most precious earthly thing that he can to a believer, not a non-believer. Even though they're blood, there's a different family being established. And he says, this is something that you can do. And, and I'm sure that John is someone that Jesus can trust to do this, right? That, that Jesus, if he's going to entrust Mary into someone's care, He's going he's gonna to entrust her into someone who's actually going to be able to do this. And I want to encourage you to do all you can 
here to gather your family around the cross because Jesus bypasses an earthly bloodline to establish a new family, a family of faith. And in this, I I, I see that they're gathered around the cross. And I want to encourage you to do all you can to gather your family around the cross. That there's a depth of relationship that is forged here that can come no other way. We try to do it through hobbies and through interests and through vacations and uh, through doing things together and, uh, and all of that. But there is a depth that comes only by the cross. You can get this depth of relationship no other way. We want to read the books and say, well, what's practically? What, what do we do? I mean, how do, how do we do this? Just gather around the cross of Jesus. Be where he is. Be in studying the scriptures together. Be in, uh, in prayer together. Worshiping Jesus together. Acknowledging him in your family. And the more that you can gather your family around the cross of Christ, the deeper and more intimate your relationship comes. Here's a, a, an analogy that I use in pre-marriage counseling uh, that I hope is helpful for you as well. If you imagine a triangle... And there are three pieces, right, to a triangle. And you have, at each part of the base of the triangle, you have you and your potential spouse, right? Pre-marriage, okay? Pre-marriage counseling, you and your potential spouse. At the top of the triangle, you have Jesus. As the two of you move toward Jesus, you naturally move toward one another. It just happens. You don't have to try to create relationship. It just takes place. It just naturally is produced, And so too it is with us, not not only in our family, but our church family, that as we exalt the cross of Christ, that as we gather around the cross of Jesus, naturally we're just drawn into relationship with one another. When he's in the center and we come toward him, we naturally get closer to one another as well. And so John here is shown... Not only has Jesus given him, uh, give him something to do and, and he's asking for him to accomplish something, but notice what it says there. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. John's obedience to Jesus is on display for us here. He didn't have to do this. I mean, just to be honorable, he could have done it for maybe a little while. But we're told here that from that moment that John received her just as he would his own mother to care for her, to provide for her, to protect for her. And she lived with him until the day she died. That this is what she did. This is how his obedience is on display. This is more than honoring the dying request of a friend, though it is that. There is a God-honoring obedience being displayed for us here. And this would be remembered by John. This would be etched into his mind as a sacred charge to carrying out this heavy weight of responsibility. John is not going to simply give her a a room in his house. He's going to go further than that. He's going to enter into this new family relationship with her. He's taking personal responsibility for her well-being. Notice what it says in John chapter 3, verse 36. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Now, take a look at this for me real quick, if you would. We, hear, we have here that, that John is saying something about Jesus. He says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. See, the belief, that's the foundation for relationship with God. But then notice the second sentence. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life. That there is belief and obedience that are smashed together in this thought. That belief without obedience is not true. It's not real. It's not valid. If you want to know what you actually believe, look at what you do. That's what you really believe. 
You can say what you believe all day long. You can say what you want to believe uh, in many different ways. You can say you value something and you can say that you think something or whatever, but what you do actually shows what you really believe. So Jesus is calling John into something and John responds with obedience because John in his gospel here is connecting the idea of belief and obedience that you, can, you cannot say that you believe in Jesus and yet not obey him. You cannot accept Jesus as Savior and yet refuse him as Lord or you will find that you have not been saved. That there is a lordship issue taking place. You can't say I'm saved by Jesus, but he, he doesn't have veto power. He can't tell me what to do. I don't obey Jesus. I just do whatever I want. I try to tell him to get on board with me. That is not salvation. That is not Christianity. That is a, a false concept of something else. That Jesus is either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. But there is coming a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. He can either be the Lord of your life now and you can recognize it here and have eternity or you will confess him as Lord and have eternal separation in hell. Those are the choices. But it's all centered around the Lordship of Jesus and obedience proves belief. Does that make sense? You don't do in order to get belief. Obedience and doing proves that you do believe. Proves that you do believe. Now the blood of Jesus has provided for you a restored relationship to God and it's provided for you a new family to be a part of. Jesus provided for the needs of Mary through John. Did you see that? Jesus recognizes Mary's need and provides for that need through John. The way that God wants to provide for the needs of the people around you is through you. Through you. I just want to ask you the question, are you willing to be used by the Lord that way? Are you willing to make yourself available to him? The greatest ability that you have is availability. Most of it's just showing up, just being available. And if you're available, then God will use you in tremendous and mighty ways to be able to minister to and meet the needs of other people. You see, in this family, you're going to be ministered to by others. And God wants to use you to minister to them as well. But we can miss the opportunities that God provides to be used by him because we're so wrapped up in our own things. Jesus could have been wrapped up in his cross and said, you know what, I don't, even have, I don't have time for someone else's needs. John could have said, this is really traumatic for me. Jesus is dying. I followed him for three years. I don't have time for anybody else's needs. But instead, they take upon themselves the, the form of a servant. And instead of getting wrapped up in themselves, they are focused on somebody else. As we close with this, just, just keep this thought in mind, that the depth of your ability to engage in this family called the church and be used by the Lord is going to be directly connected to your obedience to him. Directly connected. Will you see God's provision for you as an opportunity for you? The question is, will you be responding in obedience or will you let rebellion keep you on the outside? I pray you don't. I pray you just respond to the Lord. He's going to put opportunities in your way. It's just a matter of responding and saying, Lord, I'll be there. I'm willing. And as we're willing, he'll use us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love, for the opportunity to gather together and to study your word today. We pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to draw near to you and help us to see your great love and sacrifice for us that here as you, as you from the cross are concerned about someone else's needs, it shows us that, Lord, you're dealing with so much more than just our sinfulness. 
But that sinfulness being dealt with provides opportunity for new relationship. God, help us as, as this church, as Redemption Calvary, to be a family. Not just going through the motions of doing the stuff that you're supposed to do for church, but to actually be a family, Lord. Would you give us love for one another? Would you cause us to care for one another? Would you cause us to be concerned with one another? Would you help us to be inconvenienced for the sake of somebody else? Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your willingness to be inconvenienced for us. That you left the comfort of heaven to come down and to die the death that we should have died. Jesus, you're amazing. We just want to worship you together today. We thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we continue through a series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. Have you ever heard the phrase, famous last words? Well, what we're studying covers Jesus' actual famous last words before he was crucified. There's more to learn and discover from this series, so join us again next time. Before we go, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can take this with you on the go or share with friends. If you want more info or would like to get some details on who we are as a church, feel free to go to redemptioncalvary.org. Pastor Cody and the rest of our team here at Redemption Radio would be happy to connect with you. If there's anything we can be praying for, we'd like to help and support you in that way. You can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you don't already have a church community and are looking for one, you're welcome to visit us at Redemption Calvary, located in Commerce City, Colorado. We meet each Sunday, and there's room for you. For directions and service times, visit redemptioncalvary.org. As we end our time today, we want to invite you to join us again for our next edition. Pastor Cody will continue to share some really great thoughts from this series, Seven Last Sayings of Jesus, here on Redemption Radio.